Father, we want to thank you because you are good and what you do is good. And Father, I want to thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Father, we pray for our children uh, as they hear your word, as they hear about who you are, that you would bring revelation uh, of who you are into their personal experience. We pray for those teaching them that you would bless them and that you would anoint them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned a lot of stuff last week. If you've uh, not listened to it, it's on our website. We also have a podcast. I don't mention that enough, but we have a podcast. If you have any podcasting service, if you type in Hope Church UK, you should find our podcast. And we put all of our messages on there each week. And it should notify you if you subscribe to the latest message. But I did want to simplify um, about what is our vision for the next 12 months. And we're looking at two main things. The first is we need to make the most of every opportunity. One of the things that became really clear when we did the mission is that people are not closed to being spoken to about Jesus. In fact, people are very open to speaking uh, to you to speak to them about Jesus. They have seen the unrest. They've seen the future going up in flames. They're on shaky foundations and they are open to hearing about hope. And so I want to say to you, the opportunity is there. And we want to make the most of opportunities. And this involves outreach. We have an evangelism team. If you want to know more about them, see Sam. Um, but our evangelism team will be going out regularly to share the gospel with people. We're also looking at making the most of our events. We have certain events throughout the year at Easter. Um, we've got the um, Santa's Grotto that we do. We've got Christmas and we want to make sure that as a people, we are properly equipped to make the most out of seeing people come to faith in those settings. As soon as somebody puts their foot through that door, it is a sign that God is drawing them. And if we can train people and equip people to make the most of those opportunities, we would be amazed at what would happen. Now, what we're not looking for, and you're going to think I'm nuts here, we're not looking for hundreds of people to get saved every week. And the reason we're not looking for that is we wouldn't cope. If we had a hundred new people through the door, who's going to look after them? What we need is on a regular basis, two or three people coming to Christ so that we can disciple them, so that we can grow them. Seeing a hundred people getting saved is the same as giving birth to a hundred people. Imagine if your family grew by a hundred people tomorrow. You would go nuts. And so the whole idea is we're, we're trying to make the most of opportunities and not just in the church, but for you in your workplace, in your uh, family life, with your neighbourhood, so that you can make the most of these opportunities in sharing the gospel and leading people to Jesus. The second thing is connected to this. Our second objective of this year is that we become more like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus. People are not as interested in what you say until they know who you are. 
I mean, we see it week upon week, politicians standing up saying stuff and everybody says, I don't believe you. It's who you are that matters. We are our message. And that means we need to actively work out our salvation. We're told that in scriptures. And both of these things, making the most of every opportunity and becoming like Jesus, they will require effort and training on our part. Gone are the days when we think all that we need to do is pitch up on a Sunday and just say, I believe in Jesus. No, we need to develop practices on a daily basis that helps us to become more and more like Jesus. These things do not just happen. Let me just say something there. As believers, we hope that when we come to a moment of difficulty, that there'll just be some Holy Spirit thing to get us through. And God does that sometimes. But by and large, God expects us to develop habits over time that will make us ready for when those things come. Jesus knew that for the apostles, three and a half years after he called them, they were going to face the worst trials they ever had. What did he do? He did a three and a half year training program. He spent 24-7 with them. You know, the average person gets maybe half an hour of spiritual input a week. The disciples for three and a half years had 24 hours a day, seven days a week with Jesus. And that's what it took to make them ready. So what will it take for us, for us to be ready? And so we need to uh, think about the effort or the intentionality that will be there. James uh, talks about this. He says, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by the good deeds. And so the next 12 months, we're going to unpack that. We're going to give opportunity for you to get involved, for you to be trained, uh, practices that will help change you. Uh, one of the things that I've, I'm, I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I feel a real push by God to do, is that one spiritual practice we'll do as a church is memorization of Scripture. I mentioned that last week, and you'll be going, no! I spent last month, and I memorized Psalm 23. It's actually not a difficult psalm to memorize. But you know what? It has been feeding me every single day. I'm going out. And the psalm comes back to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm in a tough thing. I'm, I'm facing something difficult. And all of a sudden the word comes. The Lord is my shepherd. Wow. Well, if he's my shepherd, nobody's going to harm me. Because that's the shepherd's job. To protect me. To make sure I'm okay. The challenge is that when we become Christians, or even if we don't become Christians, we just live in the world, we are not okay. I went for a walk. One of the spiritual practices that I'm trying to do at the moment, this is kind of my next one that I'm working on, is recognising that Jesus is with me all the time. And so when I go for a walk, I'm walking along and I'm, I kind of picture Jesus there walking with me. 
sounds really nuts. So I'm walking along and I'm having a conversation. When I'm in my office, I see him sitting in my comfortable chair and I'm having a conversation. When I'm sitting in the front room, I see him sitting in one of our uh, sofa chairs and I'm having a conversation. I'm constantly recognising, I'm worshipping him, I'm saying, Jesus, you're amazing. And I'm also talking to him. There are things that are coming up. But in that conversation, I'm amazed what he says to me. As I was preparing this week, I'm, I'm walking. I, I like to go for a walk. I, uh, I don't often have my headphones in because uh, I want to talk to Jesus. I want to think. And I'm walking along. Jesus next to me say, well, I've got this message about preparation and things. And, and uh, is there anything I've missed? Is there anything that I need to put in there? And I felt Jesus say to me, yeah, tell people that every week they get bent out of shape. I thought, wow, that's not bad. But you know, it's true. Do you feel that you might come to church on a Sunday, you might have a refreshing time with God, or you might have a refreshing time in the morning, and as soon as you go in the world, you get bent out of shape? Smack here and a smack there and this to the gut. You know, in my younger days, I used to do a lot of cycling, and I had a racing bike. I had, you know, the old drop-down handlebars. And I had these three-quarters of an inch Tires, man, they were hard as a rock. But as you went cycling through, whenever, because they were such thin wheels, if you hit too many holes, your wheel would be bent out of shape. And if you left it bent out of shape, it would snag on your brakes and cause you all kinds of problems as you were trying to go down the road. So you'd have to take the wheels off, you'd have to get a, a, a spoke spanner, and you'd have to uh, put it in a vice and spin the wheel and and, and tighten the spokes so it would come back into alignment. Let me tell you, every single week when you go out into the world, every single day, it will bend you out of shape. And if those things are never straightened, you'll be thinking, why am I trying to go in that direction? I'm going over here. And it's because you're bent out of shape. And God wants every day for you to come to him for him to supply the power that you can withstand the knocks and where the knocks are too much, that he'll come say, hey, let's just spend some time together and I'm going to put you back in shape. Now, the world is equally bent out of shape, but they don't care. And they want to celebrate their bent out of shapeness. And what do we see? We see crazy things. We see people hurtling uh, along the world at breakneck speeds and they do not realise that their brakes aren't working properly, nothing, and it ends in calamity. The other example I could give you is our gardens. We've got this garden. And last week, we took up all the weeds. And this week, there are some new weeds. You know what? It is a perpetual job. You can't do your garden one week and say, well, that's it. It's done. Well, unless you're my neighbours who've got AstroTurf. The point is, that garden needs work. Uh, when we take James to school, we go past this one house. And man, they, I mean, what's his name? Monty Don? I mean, Monty Don could not do the garden as well as they've done it. I mean, it is an awesome garden. The hedge is like complete. It goes down a bit, but it is totally level. Their bushes, they've got these completely spherical bushes and it's phenomenal. 
But we know that somebody's in that garden every single day tending the garden. And you know, it's the same way for us. We think all we need to do is just believe. And God says, no, you need to tend the garden. You need to take that wheel and you need to straighten it. You know, I've noticed when somebody says something that upsets you, it bends your wheel out of shape. Or it's a weed that grows up in your garden. If you don't deal with that, I know what it's like dealing with weeds that grow kind of three foot tall. Man, they're hard work. It's much easier pulling it out when it's this tiny thing than it is when it's massive with all its thorns and thistles heading everywhere. And so there is this need for us as believers on a daily basis to develop good disciplines in our lives so that we are less bent out of shape, but so that we know we can put ourselves back into alignment and live how we should. Now, we need discipline in so many things. Finances. I mean, house cleaning is another one. My wife's been, we're going on holiday. My wife says, oh, I need to clean the house. I why do we need to clean the house when we're going? But we'll work out that logic. But it does need cleaning. Shopping needs doing. Relationships, all of those things need some form of discipline that is intentional or they won't happen. The world around us is not godly, nor is it good. I'm sorry to say that. It is not. The United Kingdom is not a good place. Interaction with the world will have an impact and we need to make sure that we allow the Spirit of God to help put us back every time something hits us. And so one of the things we want to do over the next 12 months is begin to teach some disciplines like memorizing scripture. Memorization of scripture is probably the most important spiritual discipline you will ever do. Because as you memorize a scripture, you're meditating upon it and you're storing it in you and it becomes fuel for every moment of every day. You'll be amazed once you memorize a passage of scripture like Psalm 23, how you go out in, into the day and you're ready. The devil throws something at you and the scripture comes to mind and you speak it out. That's one fiery dart that's gone. And so we need to have these practices. Now some of these practices are daily practices, some are weekly, some are monthly it all depends what practices we're talking about. Now, as a good illustration, we can look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see that God took a bunch of people, about one and a half million or so people, who'd been in slavery in another nation for 430 years, and he brought them out of that. <coughs> he didn't leave it there. God then said to them, that you need to perform certain practices as part of your rituals daily, weekly, monthly. They had celebrations such as Passover. They had practices such as the Sabbath or tithing. And God didn't put them there to make life difficult. He put them there to build a discipline into them that would be good for them. How many of you remember back when Sunday was a day off? Yeah, And now we recognise what a mistake we've made in opening Sunday up for business. 
People are working Saturday and Sunday and we recognise we made a mistake there and God says, you know what, you need a day off in the week. The Sabbath was not made so that we bow down to it. The Sabbath, Jesus said, was made for the person, for the good of the person. And if you never ever have a day off in the week, I guarantee you, you will not live very long or you won't have a very sane life. You need to have a day off in the week. And what God was doing with the Israelites, every celebration that he told them to celebrate, every practice was to reorient them so that they were focused upon living with God's values and with God's purposes. Now, it took time and there were lots of mistakes. You know, the Israelites, they made a ton of mistakes. They seem hard things to do, but over time, these practices become habits and these habits make us more like Jesus. Remember, that's the objective. The objective for us is that in one year's time, we are more like Jesus than we were this time. We want to move on in that. And there are things that we need to do in seeing that being formed in us. There are two things mentioned in the New Testament. One is gift and the other is fruit. Gift I don't want to talk about because in some ways gift is easy. Because a gift is just given and you receive it. But the character of Jesus is fruit. And everybody knows that fruit does not come easy. You can give somebody a gift in a moment, but you can't give them the fruit of something until it's been planted, nurtured, cared for and grown to maturity so it's producing good fruit. And even that can be hard work. And so what God wants to do in us, he wants us to practice certain things so that they become habits and over time they will produce the fruit of the Spirit in us that other people will eat. You know, one of the amazing things about the fruit of the Spirit is not so much that we eat from it, but other people do. If we have the fruit of love, other people benefit from that. If we have the fruit of kindness, other people benefit from that. That is the fruit that they eat from us. How terrible when they eat bitterness or when they eat hate. And so God says, you know, I want you to be different. I want you to do some things that change you. I can imagine for those disciples, three and a half years with Jesus, man, they had a massive shift in how they had to think. For the Israelites coming out of Egypt, no, you can't do what the Egyptians did any longer. You can't worship their gods. You can't practice what they practice. You're now doing something different because you've got the living God in your midst and you need to honour him and you need to take on his values and that's how you need to live. And when we become a Christian, when we become somebody who follows Jesus, we say no to what the world has to offer and we say, right, right now, I'm going to change my life and focus it with Jesus in the middle and so that I become like him and everything changes. Now the difficulty is the church in the UK in the last hundred years has failed a bit. Why do I say that? We failed because we've neglected some of these disciplines and it's noticeable. Statistically, when they um, poll people, they find in terms of how people would morally act, Christians are no different from non-Christians. 
They just go to church on Sunday where the other guy goes to the golf course. And so there is a problem that we are not practicing the things that create an internal change in us. And as a result, people look at the church and say, well, they're just a nice little club full of hypocrites. We don't want to be like them. And then as a further effect, we are having zero impact on our community. Now, that's not true. We are having some impact. But we are by no means having the impact that we should. When you think that 12 men at Pentecost changed the face of the earth, what should 50, 60 of us here this morning be able to do? But it is about us saying, you know what? I want to be like Jesus and something needs to change. Now, what needs to change? Our understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not a one-off decision. I really believe it's important for somebody to make a decision to follow Jesus, but I believe that is just one decision in many. From the point that we say we follow Jesus, we have to make a decision about what we watch on the television, how we spend our money, what relationships we have, what job I'm going to have, how I connect with my neighbours. You know, all of a sudden, everything begins to change because our value system is following the values of Jesus. I mean, Jesus spent so many times berating the disciples. Jesus is talking about he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and the disciples are talking about which one of them is the best disciple. Wow. And Jesus said, you see this child? If you don't become like this child, if you don't learn how to serve, because the greatest amongst you is the one who serves the best. He was changing their value system. And so we need to understand that the gospel that Jesus taught was a gospel of following him, not saying, yeah, I love you, Jesus, and I'll meet you at the end. Because that's really, the ticket to heaven is a bit like that. It's a bit like, yeah, I love you, Jesus, and I'll see you at the end when I'm dead, and then I need you to catch me and take me to heaven. But the rest of my life on earth, I'll kind of live how I want to. No, 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 no. You follow Jesus, you follow him with everything. It's called total surrender. Saying he's given his life for me, I give my life for him. Now, he helps us within that. The real blessing of God is that we're celebrating Pentecost and at Pentecost the church was born. Because Pentecost empowered people to have the power to live the life they wanted um, in Christ. Not the life that the world wanted, but the, the life that Christ wanted them to live. And you have that same power available. Where you can say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. You can wake up in the morning and you can rebuke the devil. We have preached a gospel that I think makes following Jesus too easy. I'm amazed how many books there are that talk about churches preaching the gospel and stuff and they're all talking about making it as frictionless as possible for people to come into the kingdom. You know what? Jesus did not do that. He spoke in parables specifically so that people would find it hard to understand. Why? Because he wanted to make sure they really meant it. 
In the book of Acts, we read this. They encouraged them, this is the apostles, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Imagine the slogan outside the church. Come to Jesus, many hardships await you. But here's the thing. How many of you have been a believer for longer than five years? How many of you have had no hardships? So it's there, isn't it? Let's, let's face it, it's there. We are mis-selling something if we tell people, come to Jesus and it will solve all your problems, because it won't. So what we need to tell people is come to Jesus. It won't solve any problems, but he will be with you. He will give you power. He will equip you. He will give you peace inside. He will put fruit in you that other people can eat. And you will be a blessing in this community. And your life will transform those around you until Jesus comes back or you die. And then you go up to a heavenly reward. That's the life. Because a lot of what I hear about the gospel doesn't talk about what about now. The now bit is that we become the powerhouse of the area that we live in. That we are the ones who bring that amazing change that God wants to see in the world. And here's the challenge for this morning, Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But here's the good news, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what does that mean? It means that God gives you the desire for change and the power for change, but you are the one who needs to take the step. I always remember years ago when I was younger, we watched Indiana Jones. you remember that? And I don't know which one of it was, but he had to take this chasm with a leap of faith. And when he looked, it was like a sheer drop down. But what he couldn't see was that there was a bridge across that was in the same pattern as the walls going down. You couldn't see it, but he had to put his foot out and step on it. And then he hit solid ground. And as we step out in faith, God will supply everything that we need. But he won't do it if we don't move. Now, I don't have time to mention all the stuff because we're going to unpack that. But the scriptures talk about things like denying ourselves. Talks about taking up our cross daily. It says that we should have the same mind that Christ had who suffered. It says that we need to lose our lives to gain them, and that list continues. Those of you who are on the prayer text, I sent some stuff out this week of what is going on in Manipur in India. It is horrific. They are systematically killing Christians, burning down churches, um, and just attacking and persecuting. How do we reconcile that with a gospel of blessing? Well, it's because that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about following Jesus and knowing Jesus and knowing the peace that he brings, even though outside of us it may be mayhem. So we have this amazing opportunity that God wants us to bear fruit that others can come to. You know what? People need it. 
You know, sometimes I think it's a bit odd that we go out to try and find people to, to share the gospel with. I think that if we are producing the fruit of the Spirit, people will run to us. I guarantee you in your workplace, if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be a, a speaker of hope, everybody will talk to you because they need hope. One of, one of the things that I've been praying about recently, a lot of my conversations with people always spiral down into how bad the world is. Have you ever had those conversations? And there's nothing in them that is wrong, but they just kind of spiral down into it. And at the end you go, let's go and hang ourselves now. <laughs> and I think, but that's not us. We are people of hope. And I've been saying to the Lord, can you help me in that conversation to be able to bring hope to somebody. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking with somebody saying, ah, oh, you know, I can't pay my bills and this is going up and that's going up. And I say, but you know what? Jesus actually loves you. And if you make him your shepherd, he will make sure that you don't lack anything. There is hope in Jesus. He cares about you. He sees what you are going through and he wants to help you. And all of a sudden people go, oh, this is a bit different from, oh yeah, it's all going downhill and we're going to have World War Three next week, blah, blah, blah. And so God wants to produce a fruit in us that people can come to and say, man, I've been desperate for this hope. I've been desperate for this love. I've been desperate for this peace. Because I realise that's what people need. They don't need money. They need peace. They need to be at peace with themselves and with the relationships they have and the world around them. And God has called us to say, you know what, I have put you in the midst so that you are salt and that you are light and that it produces change. It's my timer going off telling me to shut up. So I want to encourage you this morning. We have to fight every day with the devil and we have to fight every day with the world because it's under the devil's power. And we need to recognize that. But we don't do that in a depressive state. We don't do that in a negative state because Jesus Christ, because our Father in heaven has given us the scripture and through that there are practices that he's given to us that bring us life. You know, I love doing these soap studies. I do them myself, get a list of them. And I just find it feeds me. I come out of it and I'm happy in the Lord. Even though there are things I have to deal with that make me very unhappy. But it gives me the peace to get through. I think of our kids at school, Yetisha and Zoe and our folks at school. They have stuff to deal with that wasn't even on the table when I was at school. And they need to be able to go into it full of hope, full of faith. And for the other kids to be able to come and say, I'm going to pick that fruit off you because the fruit in your life is phenomenal. So let me challenge you this morning. The King James would say, gird yourself for action. I'd say to you, the call this morning is for us to ask ourselves how surrendered we are for God to have his way in every area of our lives. And I would say the biggest challenge to that is the areas that we have control over. We don't necessarily have control over our work life. But I notice when you come home, you know, 
put the TV on and I watch something and why am I watching this? Or I just, I miss my quiet time or whatever it is. And God says, gird yourself for action and help me to bring a discipline into your life that will give you a tidy garden, that will give you a straight wheel, that will bend you back into shape. And every week people say, how do you do it? How everybody else has been out of shape. How are you constantly being formed back into shape? And you say, it's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you because you love us. I want to thank you that you care for us. And I want to ask that over this next year, as we look at spiritual disciplines, as we look at things like memorization and fasting and prayer, and, and Father, so many other practices that, that grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that you would give us a willing heart. And Father, I want to pray that you would help us. We already know where we're, we're not doing well. I want to pray that you would give us faith and hope that we can change that. And I pray that over you this morning. You can change everything in your life because God has given you the authority to do so. There is not one thing that the devil can say to you, you have to do this because you are not under his power, but you have a different master. His name is Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all power. And in his name, you can break every single stronghold, every curse, every negativity, and you can be a bringer of hope wherever God has situated you. And Father, I pray that this morning. I want to pray that Hope Church would be filled with people who are full of hope. I pray more than anything that we would be people full of hope. I want to pray that our conversations would be seasoned with hope. And Lord, I pray that we would know your blessing in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.